Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Well, welcome again to Bible Center. So great to have you here. My name is Matt Friend. I'm the senior pastor. Uh, trust that the Lord has already blessed your soul. I love that song. Uh, that particular song, one of our daughters came to faith in Jesus, actually listening to that song. It helped her explain, understand what faith is all about. But we're glad you're here. If you're a guest with us, we're all about change lives here at Bible Center. We want the Lord Jesus Christ and his good news to change your life. He's still changing ours, and so we're glad you're with us. Uh, those of you who are joining us online, thank you for doing that around the city, around the state, uh, perhaps even farther. We're glad to have you with us. Next time you're in the area, uh, please stop by and join us on a Sunday. Well, my wife and I have joined another gym. It was part of our New Year's resolutions. We've joined CrossFit, Never Give Up, uh, right off of Jefferson Road. Uh, some of you know right where that is. I've seen the building for a number of years, always kind of wondered what went on inside, um, but we are really, really glad we did. The owners, uh, Drew and Tanya Parsons, uh, our Bible Center folks, have a great family, and uh, they, we ch chatted a little bit with them. Several of you have been encouraging me to dive in. There's a number of good gyms uh, in and around Charleston, but we're really excited that we've uh, chosen this one. I started the onboarding process about two weeks ago. Sarah's waiting until she recovers from surgery uh, before she totally dives in. She really wanted me to go ahead and get started. And so I started the onboarding process. It has just absolutely been one of the blessings of my year so far. You see, whenever I first arrived sitting outside the gym, I was hesitant to go in. I know how you feel if you visited church for the first time, and you maybe you sat out in your car wondering, what are people like inside? Do I fit in? Is everybody better than me? I could just imagine everybody walking around the gym with, you know, their muscles have muscles. You know, people flexing their earlobes for fun, just that kind of a person. Uh, but that's not at all the way it is. And many of you where in the gyms where you've joined, you say that's not the way it is either. We're all on this transformation journey together, trying to take care of our health. And so I, I just want you to know, yesterday was my first workout, okay? After two weeks of onboarding, yesterday was my first workout, and the results in one day are phenomenal. Here's a picture of me in a T-shirt uh, just after one day. Yeah, I leave my suit coat on for a reason. I don't want to intimidate anybody. Uh, no, obviously that is not a picture of me, right? Uh, you can't go to the gym one time and expect to look like that. Joining a gym is a decision, but transformation is a process. The same is true with our spiritual life. Salvation is a decision, but transformation is a process. It's this ongoing process day by day where Jesus transforms us into his image, I love that famous line that Jesus gives us. Matthew records it in chapter four, verse 19. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So there's this decision whereby we choose to follow Christ. We'll mention it in a moment that that decision is by the sovereign grace of God. Uh, so even the gift of faith comes from God, but we choose to follow Jesus. But then the rest of our lives, we enter this process of actually becoming fishers of men or fishers of people, where we learn how and, and ways to invite people to follow Jesus right along with us. So the stakes are high. In order for us to be effective missionaries where God has planted us, it's important that we let Jesus transform us. 
Salvation is a decision, but transformation is a process. Uh, Paul wrote to the church. He tells us in Galatians chapter four and verse 19, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes salvation refers to this entire process. It refers to not only our forgiveness of sins, there's a few times in the Bible where salvation actually refers to us being changed into the image of Jesus. We call that being saved from the power of sin. And then salvation sometimes referred to the time when we ultimately go to heaven. And we say that salvation from the presence of sin. So salvation sometimes in the Bible refers to the whole process, but for the sake of this sermon, we're gonna refer to salvation as being the moment you put your faith in Jesus and transformation being everything else. Here's a graph to help you compare the two. Salvation is a legal standing before God. You are forgiven, you are pardoned. But transformation is an internal condition. It's something that continues, it's ongoing. Salvation, once for eternity, transformation continuous through life. Salvation is entirely the work of God. You say, well, wait a minute, don't I have to believe? Don't I participate? Yes, we participate, but we'll learn in another sermon that actually that, even our faith comes to us because God gives it to us as a gift. But in transformation, we cooperate with God. I'm responsible for reading my Bible. I'm responsible for saying no to sin. I'm responsible for replacing uh, bad habits with godly habits. So we cooperate in our transformation. Salvation is perfect in this life. Transformation is not perfect in this life. If you meet someone who says that they have reached perfection in this life, sinless perfection, you know they at least just told their first lie, right? There's no such thing. And then salvation is the same in all Christians. It's the same in all Christians, but, but Robert and I both love Jesus. Robert and I both follow Jesus, um, but Robert, if he's been saved as a Christian longer than me, it's possible that Robert has developed to a different level than I have, and so it's different. It's greater in some than it is in others. Salvation is a decision, but transformation is a process. Now, I wanna tell you this morning what I'm really burdened about. What I'm really praying for, this morning we actually got here about a half an hour earlier than normal, and we just had prayer up on the platform, and this was our prayer. Lord, please help everybody who comes see their need for transformation. Lord, please help everybody who comes see their need for transformation. Sometimes we view transformation as an us versus them kind of mentality, like people out here need transformed, but I really don't need transformed. And so I'm burdened today that you'll see your need, your own need, not the person next to you, but ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want to transform my life? Maybe you no longer commit, you think, the big sins. You've been in church for a while, and so maybe you, you, you've got it down. You know you don't do the five big sins, whatever they are. But what about those passages that say, uh, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Did you do everything this morning to the glory of God? Did you eat breakfast on Sunday to the glory of God? Did you drive on the way here to the glory of God? What about that verse that says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Did you give thanks 
for everything this morning. Our marriage counselor, before we got married, told Sarah and me, he said, whenever you drive to church, this is before I was a pastor, he says, when you drive to church, don't talk very much. Don't talk very much if you drive to church together. He says, inevitably, almost every Sunday, you'll get in a fight on the way to church. He says, don't talk on the way to church. Just listen to music. You can talk the rest of the afternoon. That's some of the best marriage advice we've ever been given. So the truth is, we're all being transformed. We all have a need. God wants to recover us, transform us from anger and depression and marriage problems and grief and eating disorders and drug addictions and alcohol addictions and porn addictions and anxiety and lying and obsessive compulsion and unhealthy trust and speculation and sexual issues and relationship issues and physical and mental and sexual abuse from loneliness, from abandonment, from unkindness, from selfishness, from spending more money than we have because there's things in life we insist we cannot do without. We all have habits, we all have hangups, and we all have hopelessness. There's God is transforming all of us. Now, hopefully you already see yourself in that category. So assuming that you do, I want you to know that you're in good company. People in the Bible, throughout the Bible, from cover to cover, were also in need of transformation. Adam, the first man, was a blame shifter who couldn't resist peer pressure. Eve, the first woman, couldn't control her appetite. And can we say she had the first eating disorder? Cain, the first woman, or excuse me, the first human being, murdered his brother. Noah, the last righteous man on earth at the time, got drunk and slept in the nude. Abraham, the forefather of faith, let other men walk off with his wife on two occasions. Sarah, one of the most gorgeous women of her day, let her husband sleep with another woman, and then she hated her for it. Lot, who lost his father early in life, had a serious problem with choosing wrong friends. Job, a contemporary of Abraham and one of the fathers of faith by some, suffered from the nagging of a faithless wife. Rebecca was the first male order bride, and she turned out to be a manipulative wife. Jacob, also known as Israel, was a pathological liar. Rachel, who wrote the book on love at first sight, was a kleptomaniac. Moses, the humblest man on earth, had a serious problem with his temper. Aaron, who watched God triumph over Pharaoh, formed an idol in rebellion to God, apparently in a short episode of attention deficit disorder or colossal amnesia. Miriam, the songwriter, and Moses' sister struggled with sibling jealousy and a thirst for power. Samson, who puts John Cena to shame, hopelessly was enmeshed with a disloyal wife. Eli, who ruled over Israel, had sons who were wholly given to immorality. David was the friend of God. David committed adultery and concealed it with murder. Solomon was the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth, and Solomon had over a thousand sexual partners. Perhaps he was some type of a sex addict. Hosea was a forgiving man, but yet he gra grappled with the pain of a wife who was continually unfaithful. If you're a middle school student, you need transformation. If you're a high school student, you need transformation. If you're a college student, you need this. You need transformation. If you're a young professional, you need transformation. If you're in that midlife category, whatever that is, I think that's where I am now. 
whatever that is, you and I need transformation. If you're in your retirement years, you still, it's not over, you still need transformation. If you're single, you need transformation. If you're married, your partner this morning is praying for your transformation. I guarantee it. If you're, if you're a parent, a grandparent, or even if you're here alone this morning, God is inviting you into transformation. Salvation is a decision, but transformation is a process. Now, I wanna show two pictures that in my mind really summarize this process. Sometimes we think that transformation looks like this. We think it's a straight road. Hey, I'm going to be determined. I'm gonna follow Jesus better today than I did yesterday. Straight road. But if you're like me, this is how transformation happens in my life. It's more like this. It's good days and bad days. It's ups and it's downs. It's good decisions and, oh, well, why did I do that? And it's the invitation of the Lord through this curvy road up the hill to be more like Jesus. So the question that remains is how? How, if we all need it, how are we transformed into the image of Christ? That's what we're gonna look at in the next few minutes. Uh, James 1 is gonna give us quickly four ways that God is transforming us to be like Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you in the next few minutes uh, to take notes, or if you're not a note taker, at least take mental notes, uh, maybe on your phone or there in your outline, the notes are all in your outline, but at least just try to remember, if nothing else, these four things, because I believe this is an important message. I'm on the journey with you. You see, without this sermon in this whole gospel series that we're doing, without this sermon, suffering won't make sense. Without this sermon, really, temptation won't make sense. Without this sermon, God's word and why we should read it and meditate on it, it won't make sense. And without this sermon, coming to church won't make sense. So I'm praying that God helps us in all of these areas. Please turn in your Bible or your Bible app to James 1. James 1, verses two through four, the words will also be on the screen. Will you stand with me out of respect for the Bible? James 1, verses two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So how does God transform us? Four ways. Number one, by weaving suffering into our lives. Number one, by weaving suffering into our lives. If you haven't yet caught up with this entire series, we're in the middle of a five-week series. This is number four. A couple of weeks ago, we learned that sin breaks. We know that Adam and Eve chose to sin. Before Adam and Eve sinned, the devil himself had chosen to rebel against God. This entire world is groaning from the effects of sin. The whole world is. And so whenever somebody asks me, they say, Pastor Matt, how could a loving God let such and such happen? Maybe a hurricane hits, there's a flooding, there's a fire. How could a loving God let this happen? My first response usually isn't a Bible verse. Usually it's a quote from a movie. If you've ever seen I Am Legend, Will Smith's character, Robert Neville, whenever he's asked, why does this happen? He says this, 
God didn't do this, we did. God didn't do this, we did. And so on some level, that's true. Adam and Eve's choice brought sin into the world. If they hadn't chosen, we would have. So the world is broken because of our sin. And yet with that understanding, we still see in the scriptures that, that God weaves suffering into our lives on purpose. This picture isn't a God who is disconnected from power and control, and he's up there biting his fingernails, hoping that bad things don't happen to his people. I watched a Hallmark movie once, and I'm not picking on Hallmark very much. I try not to. But I watched a Hallmark movie once where, you know, this pastor in this movie was telling somebody who was going through a, a hard time, well, God doesn't have any control over your suffering, but he'll be there for you when you do suffer. And you, you listen to that, and it sounds warm and gooey inside, but the problem is it's not the Bible. God is sovereign even over our suffering, and God will weave suffering into your life to help you be stronger, to be more mature, and to be more like Jesus. Notice this verse in James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you're taking notes, this isn't in your notes or on the screen, but you'll wanna write this down. In a million years, nobody in heaven will be asking God why. In a million years, nobody in heaven will be asking God why. He has a purpose in the pain. Now, if you've ever been to my office, many of you have, you know I love plants. Uh, they say that when you put plants in an office, live plants, it makes it look warm and inviting. So three years ago when I moved into this office, I had four nice big green plants brought in. And so the plants were doing pretty well, right? I kind of water them once a week. It's something I don't ask anybody else to do. I just enjoy it and, and do different things. I learn a lot from my plants. Let me tell you what I've learned lately. I've learned that plants need darkness, that they don't need 24 hours of light. Now, if you really know me, this fits my personality. About a year ago, I didn't feel like my plants were growing fast enough. They weren't big enough. And so I told the maintenance people here on staff, I asked them, please leave the light on 24-7. Leave the fluorescent lights on. I want my plants to grow bigger. And so about a year ago, I did that. Well, several months ago, I started noticing they weren't quite looking right, especially two of them. They were growing big, almost too fast, and they weren't blooming right, and the leaves didn't look right. And I came into my office this week, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, and I found this. The plant that was growing the fastest actually like broke over. It had started to bend, and so we put a dowel rod in it, but it actually broke over, and it tipped over. So I walk into my office and find this. It grew so fast and so big, the roots couldn't catch up. And I've learned this week that many plants need as much darkness as they do light in order to grow deep roots. And many Christians, can, can we say all Christians, need as much darkness as we need light so that we can grow deep roots. If everything goes great in our lives, we would get cocky, we'd get arrogant, we would think we're really it. But because God allows suffering into our lives and darkness, we grow deep roots and we're able to stand tall instead of falling over just like this. Why or how does God grow us and transform us? Number one, by allowing suffering, weaving suffering into our lives. Number two, 
How does God transform us? By allowing temptation into our lives, both internal and external. Both internal and external. Let's look at the internal first. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. If we could agree with that, it makes sense. God is holy, he's perfect. He doesn't tempt us with sin. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, that's you and me, we're tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, the highlighted part, the part in bold, own evil desire, literally the wording there is this, desires unique to you or lusts unique to you. The picture here is that just as we all have a fingerprint that's unique to us, we all have desires that are unique to us. We have lusts, we have sin patterns. It's not just that there are like 10 sins in the world and you try not to commit those 10 sins. The reality is that because of our unique emotions, our unique stories, our fears, our anxieties, all of these things mix together to almost create like this, this fingerprint, this unique sin pattern that nobody else is exactly like you. In other words, you're sitting beside a friend. Your friend may struggle with some things you don't struggle with. It doesn't matter how many times you're tempted with it, you'll feel no pull to commit that particular sin. But you are opposite. There's things that they struggle with, and you don't, and you do, and they don't. So we have sin patterns that are unique to us. Now I wanna ask you a question. Do you think that the devil can tempt Christians, a genuine Christian, to commit any sin? Let's take the unpardonable sin off the table, ultimately rejecting Christ. Let's take that off the table. I already had that question in the first service. Other than that, do you think that the devil can tempt a genuine Christian to commit any sin? I personally do. I'll tell you why in a minute. Do you think that the world can entice a genuine Christian to commit any sin? I personally do. I think that's 1 John. Do you think that our flesh, it's what's inside of us, do you think our hearts, even though we're saved and on our way to heaven, this flesh that we carry around, these old bodies, do you think they can tempt us to commit any sin? I personally do. And here's why. You can study it this week and we can discuss it. Galatians chapter five gives this whole list of sins. And it's just about every sin you can think of. And, and Paul, after this like long list, he says, and such like. In other words, all the sins I didn't mention, if you can imagine it, it needs to be in this list. Christians can be tempted with any sin an unsaved person can commit. And once we, once we grasp that, then no longer is it an us versus them thing, but then it's a, hey, wait a minute, how do I need to guard myself? Where is Jesus transforming me? And what are my needs this morning? So desires can come from the inside and desires can, can come from the outside. Look with me in James 4, verses seven through 10. James writes, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord 
and he will lift you up. Now, we don't talk this way very much because it's not enjoyable. I don't enjoy talking about grieving and mourning and wailing. And obviously, he's not saying that 24 hours a day, you gotta be a gloom and doom Christian. There's other verses that talk about that. But here's his point. The point is, when you see your sin and I see my sin, what God calls us to do is to mourn it, to, to grieve it, not to excuse it, but to say, Lord, this is my sin. This is my mess. And to let it sink in so much that you realize you have genuine need for transformation. This is what it looks like. How does God use this temptation to transform us? It looks like this. You're tempted in a particular area. And man, you really, really wanna give in. We've all been there. And, and so you have two choices. You, you, have choices. you can choose to give in. Go, I'm just gonna go ahead and give in because it's easier. And by the way, it always is. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. There always is. But the end thereof is the way of death. So you can give in to it. Or if you choose, okay, as a follower of Jesus, I know God is calling me. He's inviting me to make a better decision here. And so I'm gonna pray. Maybe you pray. Maybe you read your Bible. Maybe you phone a friend and ask for help, which is, by the way, is God's grace to you, just like the Bible and prayer. Maybe you go out for a run. Maybe you take up some other hobby to get your mind off. You, you join a group, whatever it looks like. You fight that temptation. That moment that you're choosing not to give in to that sin, that moment itself stinks. It hurts. But in that process and in that pain, James is saying that somehow God is forming you more into the image of Jesus. You see, if we go back to Matthew chapter four, Jesus was led into the spirit, led into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted of the devil. Matthew four, verse one. The Holy Spirit didn't tempt Jesus to sin, but he led him into the wilderness where he, know the devil, where he knew the devil would. And Jesus for 40 days didn't sit around and just you know, bite his fingernails and kind of loaf around. Jesus was genuinely tempted. And just like Jesus was genuinely tempted, we are genuinely tempted. And God invites us to see even the temptation itself as having passed through the grid of God's sovereign will and he lets us be tempted because his temptation, the temptation makes us stronger. How does God transform us into the image of Jesus? Number one, through suffering. Number two, through temptation. Number three, quickly, through his word. The word, the impact of his word on our whole self. Look with me in James chapter one, verse 21. James writes, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Notice that last three words. Where does change begin? He doesn't say the outside, but James particularly emphasizes the inside, that Jesus wants to change us from the inside out, not from the outside in. This is for another study, but James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, James probably shared a bunk bed with Jesus. So if James knew the heart of Jesus, if anybody knew it, James knew it, right? And so James says, look, the Savior I grew up with, the Jesus I know isn't interested in you 
conforming on the outside and looking great. He's not interested in you putting on a plastic face and being everybody's hero. The Jesus I know is interested in changing you, delivering you in your soul. It's exactly what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than this. God's goal for transformation isn't just our quote unquote spiritual lives, but Jesus says it's every part of our life. Now we gotta be careful, when we look at Mark 12, we're not supposed to divide up the human life into four parts. He's not saying, well, see there, there's four parts to humanity, your, your soul, your heart, your mind, and your strength. There are other verses where Jesus divides it up into six parts. There's other verses where Paul divides it up into three parts. And all he's saying is, let every part of your life be transformed by the word of God. You know, God isn't just interested in your quote unquote spiritual life. God's interested in your emotional life. God's interested in your, your mental life, your intellectual life. God's interested in your physical life, your sexual life, your financial life, your social life, your cultural life. And that's why here at Bible Center, we're trying to step into more than just Sunday school Christianity. And we're asking the Lord, how can you transform us, all of us? Because all of us are on this journey. There's areas of my life where, you know, I think I'm doing okay. And there's other areas of my life where I know I need to experience more of the transformation of Jesus. Now, what's the goal? What's, how do we know when we're finally starting to be transformed? I think the answer is in 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. You can know, and I can know, that we're actually growing when we start to use our spiritual life to love others, when we start to use our, our intellect not to outwit others and not to somehow tangle others, and, but when we use our intellect to love others, when we use our physical life to love others, when we make sexual choices, not about what we want, but about loving others in the way that God wants, when we use our finances to love others and more than we love ourselves, when we use our, our homes, our culture, our friendships, that's when we know we're transforming. We'll always be on the journey, but the goal, Jesus said, the greatest of these is love. And God's word reminds us how much he loves us, and therefore we can love others. How does he transform us? Through temptation, through suffering, through his word, and one more, number four, through the church. God uses the church to transform us through the love and protection of our church family. In James 1, over and over again, he talks about the brothers and sisters. That's a fancy way of describing the church. We're the brothers and the sisters. In James 5, verse 16, notice what he writes. He says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever returns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it's the same thing. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, 
other words, don't quit coming. Don't quit belonging. Don't stop, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is why I like running with other people. This is why I like exercising with other people because I've learned I'm not enough on my own to do it. If it's just up to me by myself, I won't go for the run. I will guarantee you. I won't go do whatever it is at the gym, right? Because I somehow can talk myself out of it. One, one morning, Sarah and I were gonna get on the treadmill and, and, and you know, when you've been married 18 years, you've learned how to like talk to your wife and get out of it when she tries to encourage you to join her. And, and so my excuse one morning for not working out was, well, I haven't drunk enough coffee yet. I need to drink more coffee and then I might work out. She looked at me and she's like, that is a lame excuse. That is a lame excuse. And it is. We need one another physically, but we all need one another spiritually. We do. Coming to church is more than just receiving, but you have something to offer the person sitting next to you. That's why we're encouraging you, don't just let Sunday morning be the only time you come, but let us help you find a group, a men's group, a women's group, a small group, whatever that looks like. Find a place to serve because you can encourage somebody else. Maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor Matt, I don't have much to offer. I got a lot more weaknesses than I've got strengths. If that's you, I wanna give you a word of encouragement before we're done. God wants to take your greatest weakness and use it as your greatest ministry. God wants to take your greatest weakness and use it as your greatest ministry. Here's what I mean. You're gonna hear some stories about that in just a second. God loves to use our weaknesses for his glory. You know, people actually resonate more with our weaknesses than they do our strengths. If you come into this body and you come into this family and you're like, hey, I wanna join Bible Center because I'm a super Christian and I got a ton to offer. Well, guess what? Like, there's not gonna be people like flocking around you to get what you have to offer, right? It's gonna repulse or it's gonna repel. But as you come into this family and you're honest with your group of friends, your men, the women, the small group, whatever it is, and you begin to share areas where you're vulnerable and areas where you're weak and areas where you have need, people are actually drawn to that because they can resonate with our weaknesses. They can't resonate with our strengths. Transformation is a process and God's inviting us all into it. There's a number of ministries here at Bible Center. Everything we do is about transformation, our children's ministries, our Awana ministries, and we're gonna be sinking even more resources to them later in the spring. But right now, God is inviting us to begin to launch a new ministry called Celebrate Recovery. It's not new, it's been nationwide for years, but it's new to Bible Center. Here are your Celebrate Recovery leaders, people who are passionate, excited about the ministry, who are in charge of the launch. First is Pastor Ted Tanzi. Pastor Ted's been on our staff for over a year and a half, but he's been a part of Bible Center for a couple of decades now. And uh, even before Pastor Ted came on staff, he and I were talking about it. He was excited about it, telling me all about it. So Pastor Ted's gonna actually share in a minute a little bit more about what CR is about. And then we have Chris May. Chris May is one of our directors. Chris, is, Chris and Bridget, his wife Bridget, sat next to him. They've been members here for officially for a few months, I guess, but they've been a part of Bible Center for about a year and a half, and they're just growing, and they've been such a blessing to me, an encouragement to me and to my family. Uh, glad to have them. And then Poozie Noel. Poozie, how long have you been at Bible Center? 18 years. 18 years. Raised her children here, still raising her children here. Her and her husband, Jeff, are close friends. Love to have her with us as another CR 
director. But Pastor Ted, tell us about CR. Matt, it's interesting. Several years ago, probably 20 years ago, I was in a graduate class, and one of the textbooks that I read, it said this statement. We all belong to one great, big, gigantic, dysfunctional family called the human race. Mm. And that, you know, that resonated with me because in, in, in our own right, we're all dysfunctional. What I wrote in the textbook, and the textbook didn't say was, because we all have a sin nature. We all blow. We all make mistakes. We all have, have done things we ought not do or say. And we, and we, all, and we all have blown it, and we all have pasts. Yeah. And part of the thing about Celebrate Recovery is this. Dealing with our past hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and how to overcome the, from those, and to live our life daily, and, and, and deepening our relationship with Christ, and living our life daily past our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Uh, Celebrate Recovery is kind of modeled in a way after the 12 steps of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. But the idea is uh, the higher power that we know to be true is Jesus Christ. And we push everybody, everybody that goes through CR is confronted with uh, developing and cultivating a relationship with Jesus Christ because he's the great healer, he's the great physician, he's the great counselor. And we live in a broken world. Uh, the idea is let's long, link, link arms together, come alongside one another, and the, the, the verse used in your message today, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's what CR is. It, it kind of in, in, envelops uh, the eight Beatitudes of Jesus and kind of walks us through the process of what it means to be transformed and allowing Jesus to transform us from our inside out. That's great, man. You, you've known about CR, been a part of it even prior to coming to Bible Center. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Years ago, I was a, a pastor of another church here in Charleston, and around 2011 or 12, uh, we started Celebrate Recovery at that church. Uh, and uh, I, I watched it from the ground up, and I watched what God did in the lives of the people that were attending, and all of us, all of us. It's not an us and them thing. That's right. It's an us thing. Amen. Because if, if we're all real with one another, Matt, we all have stuff in our lives. Uh, aches and pains. Actually, the universal language is pain and suffering. We all got it. We all have it. And Celebrate Recovery helps us walk through that path together and gets us, gets us transformed from the inside out through Jesus Christ. And what I love about CR is it's open to everybody. And, we, and you know, there's, there's an old saying, we all put our pants on the same way, which means we're all equal. We're all equal. None of us are, are greater or better than either, any of us. And the idea is let's link arms together and walk this path of transformation together. That's great. Now, is CR only for, you mentioned this in the early service, for yeah. someone struggling with substance addiction? No, actually, 71% uh, of the people that attend Celebrate Recovery are not substance abusers. So 29% are substance abusers. So 71% of the people that attend have issues of codependency or, or uh, uh, various types of life struggles or hurts or loss or pain, uh, divorce, struggle, loss, grief. So 71% of the people, Matt, attend uh, do not, uh, are not involved in, in substance abuse. Now, one other quick fact, Celebrate Recovery is the sixth largest recovery program on the planet. Wow. It has grown to be the sixth largest recovery program on the planet, and God's transforming lives across the globe through CR. That's great, man. Chris, why are you excited about Celebrate Recovery? Well, to tell you that, I'll tell you guys a little bit of my story. I know a lot of you, but a lot of you don't really know my story. So I was born in Shady Spring, West Virginia, not far from here outside of Beckley. Um, had a good life, right? Played sports, had friends, all the things you think of. Looked pretty much like this. Um, parents raised me in church. Made some 
some not smart decisions as a teenager, but I think we all did that. Um, was educated, right? Moved forward, went through the, the Naval Nuclear School, got a good education. Um, my dad asked me to move to Knoxville, Tennessee and, and work for him to help him run his company. It was very successful. Um, and so life was good. Life was very good. Um, I got hurt, nothing really bad, um, but I got sent to a pain clinic. I got sent to a doctor, which most of us trust. Um, I think you guys probably know where the story's going. That doctor's now in prison. Um, this was in the early 2000s. None of you had heard of Oxycontin. I had never heard of it. He told me it was no more addictive than, than hydrocodone, and, uh, and it would help me. Um, as you can imagine, it did not help me. Uh, what happened is I became a, a hopeless addict to it, a slave to it. Um, I eventually, I had other people that I was sending to this doctor, um, paid him cash to go so I could get more prescriptions. I was selling drugs to support my habit. And eventually, as I said, my doctor went to prison. When my doctor went to prison, my supply went away. So I found heroin. Uh, I found out it was cheaper, and I found out it did exactly what I needed. It led me down a very bad path. Um, it actually led me to be homeless. I ate in soup kitchens. I was the people you hear about. You don't see it right now, but I was the people you read about. Um, and, and life was horrible um, by my own doing. I got to a point where literally, I, I basically, I think I challenged God. I said, I hear that you save people and you fix people and you've done all these things. Why won't you fix me? I, I just wanted him to kill me, honestly. Um, I, just, I just wanted to die. It was painful. Um, but he didn't. He didn't, and as you can see, he saved me from it. He radically changed my life. He absolutely saved me. I've been 10 years sober. Um, thank you. But what, what I'll tell you in that is that that didn't fix everything that was wrong with me that day, right? Mm. Matt has talked about this, and it, and it points back, and it's amazing how these sermons have led up to this because none of this was planned right. when Matt started these sermons. Um, sin broke the world. Sin broke me. It absolutely broke me. It, it, it devastated me. But what I had to figure out was, well, how does Jesus really transform us, right? And the only way that happens is for me to go back and look at where that sin really broke my life and what that did to me. And then when I see that, I can ask Jesus, help me now. Help me transform what I found. That's what Celebrate Recovery's done for me. It's given me an avenue to do that, an avenue to understand those things. And eventually when we start to understand that, our life changes radically and people see that. You don't have to go scream Jesus at them. They see Jesus in you. When you see me, see him. Because I died in an alley somewhere, right? Chris is dead, absolutely dead. Jesus is what did this. But when they see that life change, then they want to know. That's what CRs helped me to do for them to see that changed life and ask me who did that and how that happened. That's why I love it so much. Amen. Thanks, bro. It's beautiful. Bridget, why are you excited about CR? Well, I'm mostly excited about Celebrate Recovery because I just am excited for people to have the and experience the healing and the freedom that I've experienced through this program. Um, some of you know me and my background, but um, I am a recovering alcoholic. Um, but I also struggle with codependency and setting healthy boundaries. Um, so when I go into these rooms, it's not about you know what the issue is. It's about the healing process that takes place in these rooms. And I'm just so thrilled that we can have a place for our church to come and be safe and to be free of judgment, to explore the hurts and the hangups. 
um, and the habits that some of you may have in your lives that are holding you back from that freedom that the Bible calls us to in Jesus, because that is how we spread the gospel, is through the transformation of our own lives. And like Pastor Matt said, you know, people resonate with our weaknesses, and being able to show that we have overcome them and the reason that we have overcome them is because of the loving kindness of Jesus and the program that he has given us to work through these problems. That is where real change comes. And people want to, people want to be a part of that. Um, and I just, you know, my, one of my main struggles is alcohol, yes. But when I go into these rooms, I can relate just as much to the lady who is struggling from perfectionism, comparison, insecurity, um, integrity issues. I have just as much to learn from her as I do somebody else who is struggling with the same things I am. So I'm just very excited that we're giving people an opportunity to find the healing that they need. Amen. Thanks, Bridget. So well, I'm more than excited. I'm just thrilled. I, if I could do a backflip, I would right here, if I could. Um, I am a grateful believer in Jesus who struggles with vulnerability, perfectionism, and trust issues. And when I walked into Celebrate Recovery three years ago, I did not know that I was struggling with those character defects. Um, I just knew I was broken, I was hurting, I was in pain, both physically and emotionally. And I'd been a Christian all my life, and um, I, I, I wasn't walking, I didn't have the tools that I needed to find freedom find the freedom that I needed. So I um, started Step Study, which is, uh, Step Study is a personal, uh, biblical self-evaluation, and it's done in a small group. It takes about nine to ten months, give or take, and um, I, I found the tools that I needed to truly be free and healed from these things, my past pain, my present pain, uh, insecurity, pride issues. I had self-limiting belief patterns that I was holding on to, didn't even know I had. And um, I want to quote a, a, a quote from the, my good friend Lou, who he and his wife are here today. If you see him, please say hello. He's got a hoodie, a Celebrate Recovery hoodie on. He's uh, one of our state representatives for CR. And he said, if, if CR, if, if the church is the hospital, then CR is the ER, and the step studies are the ICU. And that is so, so true. And um, he's, he's famous for that quote. I, I had to share that. I finished step study. Uh, I co-facilitated a next step study, and I'm leading one now. And um, I get to be a part of the changed lives. Every week we see growth. If, if, if people were plants, like you brought up in your sermon, we could see the growth every week in people and transformation. Wow. And I get to work on my own recovery as well. And um, it's my vision here at Bible Center that within this year, we could have step studies going on all throughout the building at different times during the week. And we could even launch our celebration place and the landing, which are the children's CR ministries. For, so think about it. How cool would it be for our kids to go through the same program early on so they could learn and have the tools that they needed to deal with their hurts, their pain, their hang-ups, and um, get to where they could be free forever? Wow. 
one last question for you, Poozie. If, if someone comes to CR, because we're going to have hundreds come, if somebody comes, are we going to make them come up on the platform and share like you Absolutely guys not. Um, Chris and Bridget and I have surrendered our anonymity and confidentiality, but that is a mainstay at CR. You do never have to, never have to tell why you're there or, or share in any way if you don't want to. Wow. Will you guys join me in thanking them? Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.